Luke chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. This is what Holy Scripture says. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it on a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a light lamp with its rays gives you light. God's worth is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thanks be to God. Zach, if uh, you could, let's uh, turn down the lights. We're going to start off here with the lights off. As you could see from our passage this afternoon, there's this theme of darkness and light which is very appropriate for Advent. And I want you to consider as we have it dark, as the darkness is coming in and surrounding you, where do your eyes turn? What draws your attention? And I imagine it's the light that you see in the room. Your eyes are drawn to it. You're fixated maybe on the candles, perhaps to the lighted trees. That's what Advent is. Advent is this time when we acknowledge the darkness that's all around us. And the question is, where will you turn your focus? I want to draw your attention to John's words in his gospel in chapter 1. And he's talking about Jesus here. And Zach, you can turn the lights back up. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Last week we talked about the exorcism of the mute man. Jesus freeing, liberating this man from his oppression, from his captivity. And my point last week, what I was trying to get you to consider was that all of us need Jesus to free us. All of us need to be liberated. And to receive the hope that Jesus offers us. And that that hope is outside of us. Because our culture tends to tell us, and we talked about this last week, that that hope really is within us. That it's up to us to fix our world, to fix our problems. Stephen Pinker is an example of this kind of thinking. He's a professor of psychology. Ecology at Harvard, and he's written a book, and the book title itself will tell you where he's placed his hope. His book title is Enlightenment Now, 
the case for reason, science, humanism, and progress. His overall theme and thesis is that our world is improving and it's due to science, it's due to the principles of the Enlightenment, which is about freeing all of us from the captivity of old ideas, religious ideas, the things that would hold us back from fulfilling our human potential. Now, Pinker is not ignorant about human evil. It's just he believes that science, technology, the human uh, intuition and, and inventiveness is the, the solution to all our problems. And, and like others, he's chosen to ignore the true light that Scripture says has come into the world 2,000 years ago. And Jesus gives this very warning to all of us here in our passage. Did you notice it in verses 34 and 35? Jesus talks about the eye. And he uses this image. He says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. So here, Jesus is warning us. He's saying, look, your eyes are a kind of lamp. Uh, your eyes are a vehicle by which light can enter into you and to reside within you. So be careful. Be careful that you actually are seeing the light, that you're witnessing the light, that you're aware of the light. Do you recognize it? Now, Jesus is not offering positive thinking. He's not offering um, optimistic self-improvement. Jesus is speaking about the realities of our fallenness, he's saying, look, all of us have the potential to be deceived. All of us have the potential to not see the true light. And we need to be careful. Uh, Lance Morrow uh, was a writer in the 20th century. And because of all the world wars, the genocide, and everything that was happening, he made a comment that Pinker probably uh, might disagree with, but he said, instead of a growing enlightenment, the 20th century was evidence it's more like an endarkenment. That it seems like society and humanity is actually going in the wrong direction. And Advent allows us to embrace that. Advent allows us to say, yeah, that is reality. And that strengthens us as we enter into the darkness. It strengthens us as we face the malignant forces in our society and in our lives. And allows us to enter into that with hope. That we know that it's not up to us. That we know that God is the one working. That we can believe and trust that the light who came into the world 2,000 years ago is still working. And that his plan has not been foiled and that he's still working towards the peace and restoration that he promises. Now this is a little different. Jesus' words here in our passage, it, it's very hopeful 
in his pronouncement that light has come and that it's a light that you can know. Now, this is different than perhaps what uh, some spiritual people might say today. It seems to be a very popular fad these days to speak about what we don't know, especially many who have come out of a traditional conservative evangelical Christian tradition. Maybe they've gotten to a place where they've turned their back on a lot of their beliefs from their childhood, and, and they've come to this place spiritually where they've, they've settled on this idea, you know, we really can't know. We really can't know who God is. God is more mystery than doctrines. And, and that's a common place. And maybe some of you are there today. Maybe you're at that place. Uh, maybe the words of Nadia Bowles uh, Weber speaks a little bit to what you're struggling with. She says this. She's a controversial Lutheran minister, actually. She says, I need a God who is bigger and more nimble and mysterious than what I could understand and contrive. Otherwise, it can feel like I'm worshiping nothing more than my own ability to understand the divine. And, and so what she wants to emphasize is the unknowingness of God, the, our inability to understand him. And, and I would argue that Je this is Jesus' very point, that we can know him. That we can see the light. That God is accessible. In fact, he's revealed himself in the person of Jesus. And instead of celebrating the mystery of God, which there is plenty, that we as his people can celebrate the fact that the light has dawned on the world, that he is visible, and that you can know him. This is what Jesus is saying in verse 33 when he says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. That is a pronouncement of what we can know about God. That he, is, he has revealed himself. And so instead of celebrating the unknowability of God, we can celebrate the fact that he's revealed himself in the person of Jesus. And we can have hope in that. And we can be confident in that. Can we fall into dogmatic self-righteousness? Absolutely. But I would argue that dogmatic self-righteousness is the problem. Not making the claim that God can be known. And that there are truths that we can have confidence in about who he is. Psalm 119 uh, verse, verse 105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jesus is making an allusion to this in our passage this afternoon. He's saying that he, the living word, is a lamp. Just as God's word, written word, is a lamp for us. And what's the purpose of a lamp but to bring light, to show you the way? There is mystery, yes, but there is revelation and that's what we celebrate this season the revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ we know God through Jesus that's the whole point of Jesus's teaching here that God is visible and in the flesh in his ministry in John 8 Jesus again in referring to these themes of light and darkness he says to his 
crowd that he's speaking to. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, that allusion from Psalm 119, that as you follow Christ, you are following the light. And you can have hope in that. And you can know that he's not going to fail you, and he's not going to lead you into the darkness. He's going to lead you to life, to light. Now, our struggle is, there is still darkness in the world. And we talked about this last week with the reality of the devil and the reality of his work. Um, the Apostle Paul, this is a theme that he wrestled with and, and speaks about. When he was given testimony of God's calling on his life in the book of Acts, notice how Paul understood his ministry. He said, this is God speaking to Paul. He says, I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to God. There are these themes of darkness and light. And the role of Satan in his deceiving us and misleading us. And how easily it can, we can uh, fall to that temptation. And Paul understood his calling was to call people to the light. To point them to Christ. Now the Pharisees re refused to see this light. And that's what Jesus is warning here in our passage their refusal to see the true light that has come into the world and they even like we said last week accused Jesus of working for Satan and and Paul in his letter to the Corinthians notice this this theme again uh, notice his words in in chapter 4 Paul writes this to the Corinthians he says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul is tying all these themes together. And he's saying, look, the light came into the world. And the whole point not only was to defeat the darkness in the world out there. But to actually enter into you and defeat the darkness that resides within your soul. Did you see that? He talks about... The light that shines in your heart. Jesus came to shine light in you. Not just outside of you. There's a transformation that Jesus came to accomplish in you. To open your eyes to see. And yes, the devil deceives us. And yes, the devil misleads us. But Jesus reminded us last week that he has been defeated and that Christ is Lord. And so what, why are we still in this darkness? What is going on? Why is the darkness still so prevalent? Well, I, th <laughs> I think Frederick uh, Bickner says it well. He says, if there's a terror about darkness because we cannot see, there's also a terror about light because we can see. There's a terror about light 
because much of what we see in the light about ourselves in our world we'd rather not see would rather not have be seen in other words many of us are much more comfortable staying in the dark whether in ignorance or we're just not willing to face the reality of what resides with inside of us um one of the things I want to challenge you with this new year coming up is to really think about, are you willing to confront the darkness that resides within you? I've been listening to an audiobook called the, the Lost Art of Listening. And one of the points the author makes is that in order to be a good listener, there are many things you should do, but one of the key things is that when you enter into a conversation with someone, to be a good listener, you have to set aside your agenda. Now, I've always thought of myself as a good listener. In fact, I, I sometimes can be pretty self-righteous about that. When I heard that point, and as he explained what he meant by that, I was really challenged and convicted. In fact, it caused me to see that there is a dark side to me when it comes to listening. That in fact, I often when I'm talking with someone am calculating and thinking about my agenda for the conversation. Someone might be talking to me instead of focusing on what they're saying and trying to understand them, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next. Have you ever been there? I'm thinking about how I'm being perceived in the conversation. Have you ever felt that? I have this agenda as I'm talking with this person. And it was unsettling, if I could say it, put it that way. When listening to this audiobook, to be confronted with the darkness within me that actually I'm not a good listener. And that maybe there's a lot for me to learn. And so what... Are you dealing with what are things in your life that maybe there's a darkness within you that this new year you need to be open to confronting? Let the light of Christ shine inside of you and trust that he's working in you, that, that perhaps he can do his work in you so that you might grow in him. That's the point of the passage, I think, as, as we look at how he ends in verse 36. Yes, the light is outside of us. Yes, it's in Christ. And yet, yes, Christ shines his light. But notice what Jesus says at the end of this passage in verse 36. He says, if then your whole body is full of light, having no dark part, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. In other words, yes, the light is outside of us, but it does no good if it stays only outside of us. You see, your whole body is full of light when you turn your eyes on Christ, when you focus on Him. That is Jesus' point here. You can have New, Year, New Year's resolutions. You can seek to improve yourself as a person, but the key is for the light of Christ to be shining in to your soul and for your eyes to be focused on him in this new year. So where's your relationship with Jesus? 
as you think about this new decade, 2020, where is your relationship with Christ? How would you describe it? Are you stopping long enough to look at him, to let his light shine into your very soul? Or are you too busy? Are you too anxious? Are you too consumed? The family and I just watched It's a Wonderful Life. The kids saw it for the first time. I'm sure many of you have seen it. George Bailey is so consumed, right, with his dreams, so consumed with his his big uh, travels. He wants to see the world. He wants to go to college. He wants to do all these amazing things. And time after time after time, his dreams are squashed, and he has to stay in the small town and do the things, the very things he doesn't want to do. All that time, he's unaware of all the beautiful relationships and the impact that he's made in people's lives. He's blind to it. Because he's so anxious and, and so consumed with these other things. And so this coming year, are your eyes focused on Jesus? Now, I'm not talking about just a Bible reading plan, although it could, that could play a role in it. But you could read the Bible every day next year. And not have the light of Jesus inside of you. Just look at the Pharisees. They were grounded in God's word. And yet they did not have the light of Christ in them. And you can strive to be a really moral good person. You could be the best person you could be in 2020. And not have the light of Jesus in you. Transforming you. Look at the story of the lost sons. The story of the prodigal son. The younger brother goes away. Loses all of his inheritance, comes back, the father receives him, welcomes him, forgiveness is there for him. Then the father goes out to the older brother, and the older brother, who is the moral one, the good one, the one who's done everything right, the story ends with the older brother being far from the father, not not willing to go and, and be a part of the party. So you could be the most moral person possible and still not have the light of Jesus inside you. Remember, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, let that light shine in your hearts, giving you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's our calling as the people of God. And I'll end with this story from Cecilia Bernhardt. She's a director of a counseling ministry in Philadelphia. She grew up with a fa- in a family of 13. And when she thinks, I can't imagine that, right? 13. And when she thinks of the holidays growing up, it was a wonderful time of celebrating uh, the birth of Jesus with her family and friends. And there was a lot of activity and a constant crowd. And she has these wonderful uh, memories of all that that entailed. And in her little reflection that she wrote called darkness and light at christmas she shares that things today have changed so much for her she still celebrates with joy and wonder the uh, birth of jesus but she's painfully reminded of who's missing you see over the past few years she's lost her father who was such an important figure in her life she lost her older brother she lost one of her sisters 
And now she reflects on the impact these three family members made on her. She misses their care and desire uh, to help. They were always there for her when she needed them. She misses their laughter. She misses their quick wit. She misses the ways that they lived life fully, each of them loving her in their own way. And she is confronted with that feeling of their absence this time of year. How many of you are feeling that? Maybe you have spent this Advent season thinking about those who are no longer with you, those family members who are gone. How many of us think of those memories and the absence and the grieving and the pain of that? But Cecilia writes this. She says, As I grieve the separation from my family members and walk similar paths with those I counsel, my heart is stirred to remember that Jesus came into the world to bring life that was the light of men. And because he walked among us, he knows the depth of every struggle and every experience of brokenness or loss that we face. In his love for us, he overcame death and darkness so that I not only can see light and here's the big here's the point I can be light I long to reflect that light into the lives of others as my family has done for me see here's a woman who's willing to confront and grieve and face the darkness and yet because she's holding on to Christ and has her eyes fixed on him she's willing to let that transform her so that she can be light with her family in her community how about you I pray that that's true for you this Christmas season let me pray for us Lord Jesus, may our eyes be fixed on you. May we have eyes to see you this Christmas. Many of us are confronted and dealing with lots of painful relationships or grieving the loss that we've experienced, maybe even over the past year of 2019, Draw our hearts, just as we sat in the darkness at the beginning of this message, Lord. Our eyes were drawn to the light. May that be true of each of us this Christmas season. May you be illuminated through the Holy Spirit as we worship and praise you. Transform us for your glory, we pray. Amen.